2: are listening to a podcast from the Word.
0: The number one single in Britain in, on this day in 1966 was Manfred Mann's "Pretty Flamingo." Okay. Good song, very good song. Yeah, really brilliant good. song. Really good record. Yeah. And they had a bass player at the time that they made that record, who I'd forgotten was briefly the bass player of Manfred Mann. Can you remember? Oh, who? I
1: think I know this.
0: Okay, Jack Bruce. Jack Bruce. Yes, was briefly a member of Manfred yeah, Man. And that set me to thinking, go OK? On. There must be other well-known musicians who were briefly members of other groups and you've forgotten. And so I suggest that we play... Well, it, it's a game of kind of rock poker, OK? <laughs> <laughs> well, I see you Jack <laughs> Bruce. I raise you. We're going to go around... <laughs> no, you don't have to raise it desperately. You just have to yeah. go. We're going to go around the table, OK, and see how far we... See how long we can go, OK? Oh, so, all right, OK. So I've started... Jack Bruce was
1: in Man for Man, okay, Mark. Well, I could I think I could come back across the net fairly swiftly with Rai Cudder was a member of, what's
2: that thing talking about?
1: <laughs> it was my Wi Fi rabbit. It's a Wi Fi rabbit didn't you phrase Wi-Fi rabbit? Only phrase. It's full of electronic Wi-Fi gadgets that speak
2: to you. This going to interrupt from rabbits. time to time, I'm sorry about that.
1: No, that's fine. Raicouda surely was a member of the Clear Spot lineup of Captain B Magic Band. Was that is that to count are you giving me a funny I mean, look? Yeah an, an anyway, Clear Spot safe as the... milk. Save as milk. Probably yes yeah, it was like. right. okay
2: well, Rai
0: Kuda was a member of Captain B hmm. Magic Band. Okay. Jack Bruce for Man? Yeah. Raicooder can I have? Can I have? Glen, can
2: I have? Glen Campbell there?
0: Okay,
2: go yeah, on. Oh, go on. Go on. He was obviously with the Beach Boys. He, flipped, he, he, in he beach, sat what, in for Brian what, Wilson what? when Brian Wilson didn't want to talk. When well,
0: he didn't want to yeah. talk, so Glen Campbell, who obviously was one that must have played loads of those. What era would that be then? About 1968. Six. So yeah. I probably 66. saw him
1: then. I probably saw the Beach Boys with Glen Campbell playing the part of. I
0: don't think I saw him in
1: '71. No, he, no, he no, wasn't there no, then. He wasn't still there then. Okay, so that's three. Okay, I carry
0: on. Wilco Johnson was a member of the Blockheads. Which people uh, yes they made an album, didn't they?
1: Yes they the did. With Wilco was yes, kind of did.
0: the Endury's are yep. barring partner. Yeah, I'm sorry
1: to I've just realised I've got an ace in my top pocket. Okay. So now
0: we move on. Okay. So we're
1: doing notable right. members. Picture the scene. So we've forgotten. Picture the okay. scene. Here we go. Thin Leslie. Oh, who's, who's coming over on oh, Concord? Yeah. It's only mid-year of Ultravox. <laughs> <laughs> it is, David. Okay. You know it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm crossed. That's, was he in Ultravox then? He was. So maybe he was no, only in he Slick was, or something. He was.
0: No, he hadn't joined Ultravox at that point. So 1979, I was just saying, okay, when Gary great. Moore
1: Gary left the tribe. Briefly in the middle of a tour. In the middle of an we... American tour? Something like that. I know it's because I interviewed Midge the other day and he told me the story and he went over listening on a on a on a Sony Walkman. Concord flights were not long. He only had about two hours and fifteen minutes to learn the entire set before joining the plane. And they were quite big, actually. They yes. quite a big venue on the East Coast. I totally forgot Midgeur. Yeah, just, I mean, just got make my list. He's got the, the hair, though, yeah. isn't he? You just can't be in him. I can't imagine. Did, he, did a... he have
0: the hair at the time? I don't know. No, no, no. I don't think he ever he had, had long hair dresses, hair. No, no, Did he? No, no. Mid-year. what a nice bloke.
1: Lovely geezer.
0: We're now to try and get mid-year off the podcast. He's, really funny He's bloke. a man who has stories to tell. Yeah, really yeah. nice. He's written a very good book, actually. It's supposed to be very good. I read that. Really good. Yeah. Have we got any more, Fraser?
2: Oh, I haven't, no. Oh. <laughs> Mark,
1: okay. Have you got any more? i well, I had. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this—he didn't, he didn't become a full-time band member. But let's not forget. Let the record reflect that George Harrison just directly off the Beatles joined Bonnie um, Delaney and Bonnie I for an American so. tour as their lead guitar player. I suppose. All so. right, you don't yes. like that. Can see you don't like that. Okay, I'm coming back. I'm coming back with Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn were members of Yes. Yes. Am I right? Yep. Is it
0: Jeff Downs? Well, I think what both the of th- them are one okay, stage. Well, I think the other guy, the guy not Trevor Horn, is still in. Yes, isn't he? I think he's zipped in as Jeff Downs. Jeff, Jeff Downs. The other guy from buggles. the buggles, the bumble, the, the, the other buggle, <laughs> the other buggle, the other buggle.
1: He's still double buggle. So you know that. All right. Have you got any more? Well, make, I think you make Huggnell in the face. No, it's not really... It's not Mick
0: really. Huggnell was in the faces, of course. See, I, yeah, I mean, he was. Briefly, I yeah, George I,
1: yeah, yeah. Michael and, obviously, Paul Rogers were in the... I mean, Paul Rogers in Queen. If, Queen. I don't know if that's really true. In 20 years' time, people have, have forgotten the fact that Paul Rogers yeah. was in Queen. But no, the last one, but it's not really it doesn't really count cause he's been in this group for 20 years. So it doesn't seem at all extraordinary, but it still seems extraordinary to me when I, when, I, when I think about it. But Stiff Little Fingers, bass players, of course, the mighty Bruce Fox. <laughs> yes, Dave, you know, you're looking up there, aren't you? At all <laughs> Pop's creative front line. I haven't forgotten the mighty fingers <laughs> down the bottom here. They deserve a mention. The
0: Rick Butler Oh, there? God,
1: no. Rick Butler was the drummer in a, in yeah. a jam uh, tribute group, wasn't he?
2: And Rick Butler was the drummer in the jam?
1: Uh, yes, but he was also... Uh, I know, after that, but after that, <laughs> <laughs> like he was. He's but on the, the strength of that...
2: Out of the jam, the whatever I call Out
1: of the jam, he was the drummer, probably still is. So there we go. Still working. Well, it's us Unlike me. <laughs> you can carry on this at home no doubt people
0: can write Mm. down long lists it's a parlour game
1: you can all play it's a
0: parlour game you can all play Absolutely. so anyway the other night uh, I went to see Neil Finn at the Royal Festival Hall I was a special guest of the the New Zealand Ambassador to Highgate your friend oh Brent (laughs) yes so we're in we're in a a box it was very it was very fantastic you know because uh, because Brent's on the kind of overseas the South Bank and so forth so, anyway, really good show. Really, really good show. But two two things I just want to raise here. One is he does something that I've never seen anybody do before, which is... That's the it's rabbits, the It's the bloody rabbits, rabbit. the digital bloody like, all you to us. And you go through life with a rabbit chirping oh. up every two minutes. It's the only company I have. the amount of conversation in the room. Get it you doesn't go, know. It doesn't. Get that rabbit. <laughs> 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 yes. He... Uh, he says, we're going to try and contact my dad in New Zealand via Skype. His dad's 92, right? Well, he's, got, he's got a laptop on stage or something. So, the, you know, the, the guy at the sound, the guy at the guy side doing the sound has obviously been working away. He, and he comes on, he says, I can't get your dad. He's obviously not on Skype at the moment. But I've got your mother-in-law. You know, Sharon is playing bass, his wife. Yes! Her mother met her, is yeah. there. So... They place on the on the piano during well, and they carry on playing. And so you can see a laptop on the piano with a couple of faces. Okay, a mother-in-law and a brother-in-law or something like that, looking, peering into the into the screen, looking for all the world like a family photograph. You know what I mean? That's just but, but, it's, but, moving, but it's moving. But it's moving. Yes, of course. It's moving. But it's probably speaking. And and apparently I, I tweeted about this. Apparently they've been doing this every night of the tour. So he's been a different member of the family, you know what I mean? That's a brilliant... And it's, and it, it's, an, it's a, it's a classic touchy. kind of Neil Finn idea, <laughs> really in that touchy. it's a kind of, let's try that, let's see if it works. And if it works, you will do it again, you know what I mean? So and he did not he put, he, he put a mic to it and try to speak to his... No, he didn't, well, him. he didn't with, on that particular occasion, you know, but, but he, he talked about he had a fantasy of of filling the top of the piano with laptops... <laughs> All with different members of the family. Idea. You know, these kids. Plus, we well, have a
1: Labrador and on the one on the
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> and they are these people at home at the other side of the world where it's the
2: morning or whatever,
0: yeah. And they're kind of vicariously taking part in this. this
2: Been given the front row seats. Royal Festival. Well they're facing the audience. They're actually. facing the
0: audience. They can they see get a band the here. audience. He is moving about something. That so is a lovely idea. So, so it's oh, a really, lovely it's really simple, a, yeah. simple idea. It's beautiful. But the other thing it made me think, he, he goes on stage, he's got a six-piece band with him who are largely younger musicians. You know, I guess they're kind of late 20s, early 30s or whatever. And they're very good, really good. You know, got keyboard players, they've got guitar players, they've got cellists and so forth and all. But the thing that makes them really good, and it struck me as I was coming away from this, the thing that makes and breaks so many live performances is backing vocals. They could all sing, you know what I mean. So they started doing distant song or something like that, and five of them. Oh, five! Five harmonies. You know what I mean? Wonderful. (laughs) And 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 when they approach the microphone, your heart is slightly in your mouth because you think they might not be good enough. You know what I mean? Because your experience is on so many shows, they're not quite good enough, or they're not quite well enough rehearsed or whatever. They were fabulous. And oh, oh lovely!
1: Well, a lot of times the, the main uh, uh, priority for the backing singers because they've got to look fabulous and move really well, you know. So quite often it doesn't really matter how well they sing; they're just a part of a spectacle. Oh, but these just, were, no, but these were people playing guitars
0: or piano yeah. or whatever. They were doing all kinds of other things. But they were obviously part of the qualification for being in the group: is can
1: you sing? Well, they, were they up there with Fleet Foxes? Have you ever seen Fleet Foxes? No. Go on. We get five vocals. Which, I worked out at one point we're singing five harmonies. So that's Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and, and and somebody else. You know, really, really complicated stuff. Beautiful sound. But this
0: was this was just terrifically good. And I suppose you had the same thing when you went to see Adam and the Ants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Peerless <laughs> backing vocal performance. I, I tell well, you the Spironi thing... Like, making the his rage no, no, he wasn't there. No, he wasn't But The great marker, the great man wasn't there. No, no, I, I did, go, I did go and it. see them, and I have to say, I thought it was such a brilliant night out. It was so fascinating. The key thing about Adam and the Ants, which I think is almost unique, actually, to any group that I can think of, is that there are two completely separate entities of Adam and the Ants. There is the punk rock Adam and the Ants of Dirk Wears White Socks, and then there's the pop uh, incarnation, uh, whenever it was in 1981, it's when you charming. and I were at, uh, when we were at Smash Hits. Yeah. And the really interesting thing is, I don't think the former lot remotely approve of the latter stage. And I don't <laughs> think the latter adopters are anything other than horrified <laughs> by what happened before they got interested in The Mighty Ant. And so what you do, I met, a um, fact, a mutual palomars, um, the terrific um, uh, Kate Johnson. Um, who you've met and unfortunately he's nothing rather spoilt even a, a massive fan of Dave Hepworth. she goes on about David the whole time so, have, you, have you been following what David's been up to on Twitter I said no I <laughs> haven't <laughs> actually oh, I wish David was here he'd be saying something funny <laughs> alright ok he's not here you know. but anyway so we go to this thing and she's dressed she's from the latter stage she's from the pop she's the pop stage so is
0: she wearing a tea towel
1: she's not wearing t- she's dressed out. She's, she's wearing a very kind of funky uh, leather jacket and, and, uh, and t-shirts and like but she's, she's not actually in full um, you know pop regalia so she's keeping it neutral but the pub we went to meet in the Swan in Hammersmith just by the, the Apollo and so 75% of this is full of the
2: most spectacular ground
1: and they're the punk and people of whatever it was, originally seventy nine. Yeah, so they're all in. I mean, how old would they be now? Fifty, you know? Oh, yes. Maybe fifty. Maybe over fifty. Maybe over fifty. And so there's 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 leather ga- jackets. There's. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's gothic black netting, there's gloves, there's... T- everyone knows too. Everyone, There's green hair, there's, there's orange hair, there's red hair. Whether it's been done for the night or it has remained red since 1979, I literally don't know that. Every single um, incarnation of Adam and the Ant's T-shirt, worn out. There was the, you know, and, and they're there to celebrate the man who comes on and plays, you remember, Car Trouble, um, Never Trust a Man with Egg on His Face, Family of Noise, you know, that kind of weird punk stuff, which I don't really know, actually. And, of course, the rest of the audience are just bored to tears. The other 25%, including Kit <laughs> Johnson, can't wait. Yeah. For, and they think, then we start to think, maybe it's not going to happen. See, maybe yeah. he's just going to do his, yeah, I was a punk and I was kind of, you know, at the cutting edge and I'm a bit embarrassed about all that stuff. But no, about again, three quarters of the way through the show, some Minion comes on and puts up a screen, right? Literally a screen. You know, one of those screens by which you change clothes. The great aunt... Um, <laughs> Disappeared behind the screen, and rather theatrically, in case you saw bits of clothing come over the top, and we, we were sitting right on the far right of the balcony, so we could actually see behind the screen. And there he was, God bless him, struggling <laughs> on with another different pair of trousers <laughs> and some boots and the full military jacket. So, it, having done the whole thing of his punk uh, his punk duds, you know, um, with his kind of, um, you know, it started off with his tricorn hat and his bandana. He then reappears in the military jacket and does, you know, ant music, stand and deliver, um, Prince Chow as we used to call it hilariously, <laughs> ant smash hits, and Goody good Two Shoes. Guns? I mean, yeah, two, two drawings, one of which was the great Dave Barbarossa, actually. Right. Bow Wow Wow. Actually, was in the ants before um, Malcolm uh, McCar- McLaren stole the group. So, that's been patched up. But Barbarossa was I mean so it was a really good show and also what's his name Bos Bora. Fraser my right sits on the right hand of Morrissey a thuggish looking teddy boy with a, with a, Yeah, he's now he's now the kind of so is Pironi still there Pironi's not involved so the only ant was actually Barbarossa but it was just so funny because actually at this point when he came on in his military jacket something Prince Chow mein, a large number of people around us got up and very noisily went to the exit. He's right. That's it. You know because they've only come to <laughs> oh, see. That, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was quite funny. I really, I've never seen such a complete division of taste. Because normally your relationship with the group is, well, I like that early stuff. The third album's a bit dodgy. Play some old. Yeah, somebody. And then, yeah, or play, or, play somebody, <laughs> yeah, or whatever. But the idea that you only like this, and so the first lot were, as I say, were, were absolutely traumatised by the uh, by the idea that he went pop, and the pop lot couldn't believe that he had this dark backstory where he did songs like Whipping My <laughs> Malise and Don't uh, Play uh, Some Old. From- <laughs> For our students, don't play some, play some news. Play some <laughs> play and I'm sorry, One last thing, which is really extraordinary, was that, which I think, it, and I'm, I must say, I'm fond of uh, of Adam and all he represents, but I think he had completely misunderstood the catastrophe of Live Aid. Now, you and I, Dave, were there. <laughs> we were watching this from the commentary box. He came on, he told us, he pre he, he, he preempted the introduced, rather, the song Vive La Rock by saying, um, my manager was the manager of Sting, it was Miles Copeland, of course, he said... And, uh, and he said, um, right, um, Adamant's got four songs, and they said, we can't have Adamant on anymore. He said, right, if you can't have Adamant on, you can't have Sting. And so I was, and he did this to the wanted saying, "I know, I know, absolutely monstrous." Let me do one song, and this is the song I did. So he does "Vive la Rock." Now everybody knows, my mother knows, that the most catastrophic thing you could possibly do at Live Aid was going to play a record that nobody had ever. David hadn't even been released; it no. was coming up two weeks later, and it absolutely finished his career. And yet he's still, yeah, revisiting, yeah, the revisiting moment. "Vive la Rock," <laughs> revisiting the moment his career his was greatest. That was below the waterline. I know. But anyway, that was a fantastic it's evening. And really a supplementary beautiful. question I've got to yeah. ask. Does he still look like Charlie Drake? Oh, I know. he's got a kind of pencil line moustache now, like a kind of croupier. It's hard to see what he looks like. He's very low-lit. He's lost a lot of weight, but he wears a bandana around a tricep So he can now. get into the the pirate costume. He can get and back and into that costume. I don't think it's had to be elasticated or really. anything. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's It's funny... He's still always that jolly role, just sure. one further point about the kind of greying of audiences. You
0: know, going back to my Neil Finn thing. This being a Neil Finn concert, they had the politest rush towards the stage you've ever seen in your life. You know what I mean? Because Neil Finn fans are not not nutcases they're not rock and roll animals they're not I raised mean, by wolves at all you know? I mean, yeah. uh, and so they go, they go towards the stage during the encores and they're repelled you know, these are people who are mainly in their 50s and 60s and they're repelled by 23 year old bouncers you know what I mean he thought, this is a complete reversal a of how it's supposed
1: to that's be. That's really funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's supposed to be teenagers rushing towards the stage it's and teenagers kind of middle-aged jobs with <laughs> repelling them. Yeah, people with an Oyster 60 plus card trying to get over a barrier. <laughs> and a work experience kid <laughs> so, Can you sit down, grandpa, please? Yeah, because the, these you, people for, couldn't get over For your own that. health. <laughs>
0: so Fraser, oh. I've got here. Fraser went to see Justin Timberlake. I did,
2: yeah. I yeah. went to see him at the uh, LG nah. Arena in uh, Birmingham. Because it's a pop concert and I like big pop shows. And it right. was uh, he had this brilliant thing, it was always really slick and very professional, but he had this brilliant thing where, if you can imagine a carpenter's horse made <coughs> out of perspex and straddling the entire width of the arena floor, that moves up and down from the stage to Good the back God. of the arena that the band play on. That's amazing. So he does most of the set on stage, as you would do, and then he clambers on board this... The group to around the, the... Is it above you? It's above you. So It's it like a kind like like of transparent bridge. Exactly, above you. your head. And you can you you see, see the soles of Timberlake's shoes. You can, yeah. yeah. Incredible. And so the people at the back who've paid less the money than the people at the front... Get a close-up version of the show for a little bit.
1: that's, really? so that's the latest twist on the kind of revolving stage and all yeah. that stuff? What a very clever idea.
2: It worked very well. And that's does brilliant. that
0: keep your attention and so forth?
2: It does, yeah. It's really exciting because everyone's changing position and craning to look and getting right, a new point of view. It's very interesting, yeah. So you
0: think there could be a breakthrough? I think so. Oh, right. So you, c- couldn't you, take that, you can't take that into the great outdoors, can you,
2: really? Probably not, no. And it wouldn't work in a small venue.
0: No. It doesn't come in too near to you all the time.
2: But it was yeah, it was a really good idea and it worked I really well. That's
0: absolutely incredible. So, do, who were the Were you amongst the you know like-minded souls, or who who, who who's the Justin Timberlake audience, or is it everybody?
2: I, I expected it to be screaming girls, and it was largely girls and no screaming. It seemed right. to be uh, for a man who's supposedly a sex symbol. He has very little sex appeal, as far as I can see. For you? Well, and, no. Yeah, <laughs> but you look at him. He looks—he's kind of a bit waxy and wooden, and odd-looking. I can't see it myself.
1: you? no. Me? I'm sure there'll be people listening who disagree. So you went with Mossman. I did go with Mossman. Did Mosman, she yeah.
0: get unnecessary?
2: Did she? No, she. Respect? She was perfectly well behaved. Right, right, yeah. right,
0: right. And did you? Do you know? Was she not got standing old? on the armrest. screen?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing like that. I was very disappointed. Right. Oh, okay.
0: I'm reminded of the time you and I went to see Haircut 100 at the, oh, the God, very yeah. zenith of their, uh, yes. <laughs> their screaming popularity and whenever that was on the Hammersmith Odeon. Yeah, it was 1981, <laughs> I can remember it very
1: vividly. <laughs> we were the only two blokes there. We it. were the only two blokes there and he was wearing uh, a kind of a sou'wester <laughs> at one point. That <laughs> was it, yeah. And then he came <laughs> off stage and changed and came back with a pale blue... Um, I suppose the word is jumper, really, but wrapped round his shoulders. Do you remember? Like his mum would just put it on it to I keep him warm. Remember. Says, I remember once so again, really. we are dazzled by the fact that Mark Allen remembers it. Oh, I really yeah. can't remember
0: this.
2: Well, yeah, you should do a book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's of a good which, idea. Of which <laughs> more <laughs> later? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of which more later? I, I, I've actually solicited this morning uh, from the Massive, if we can still call them that. Uh, Andrew Pearson wants to know which musicians have the best stage banter.
1: Um, I can so answer they,
0: this. question. Okay, you, you go, go ahead. Go categorically, the answer with absolutely going to be your problem. not Neil even Fitch. the slightest scintilla of doubt. It's, it's, it's laughable, Andrew, that you should even ask this question, because any fool knows that the person with by a mile the best on-stage mountaine in the history of rock and roll
1: <laughs> is Bruce Springsteen. Is he? Well, Fact, But is it spontaneous? No. What? Does he not say the same thing every night? Uh, well, OK. No, he doesn't say the same thing every night. Oh, OK. He doesn't say
0: the same thing every night, but does that mean it's not... Well, it's obviously a certain amount of spontaneity in it. Look, the point is that a professional entertainer, and he's a professional entertainer, has a load of material that they are ready to use yeah, at any like moment. Like a comedian, yeah. Like a comedian. Yeah. And he does and he has, he, he's got a library of stuff in his head of what, what works. In that doesn't sound like banter over. to me. Well, well so what do you call banter? I think no, ba-
2: banter is reacting to something oh, that okay. happens in the audience, I think. Interaction. I sort of, but do s- you think
0: it's likely that... Sorry to cut across you. Don't you think it's likely that anybody who's any good at it, whatever the line is, they've used it before? James Taylor, for instance. its I've been at concerts where women, a lone voice of the Middle-aged lady in some of the stores goes. I love you, and he always waits, and he goes. I think it's best we don't know each
2: other.
0: <laughs> now he's clearly used that line thousands of yeah. times before because it works. Because why would you not use something that yeah. works? You know what I mean? They're so experienced.
2: I remember going to see uh, Towns Van Zant, and he uh, he told a penguin joke, which I can't recall. <laughs> But it was very amusing, the audience laughed, and the following day I said, Oh, someone I saw Towns Vans out last <laughs> night. Did he do a penguin joke? I think
1: yeah, you're right. I, I, Ian Hislop told me he was having a drink with um, with Paul Merton uh, once, you know, and they, they do that show every every week, and and, uh, and girls come up to Paul Merton all the time and go, oh, You know, I love you. And he always has the same answer, which is, Where were you 30 years ago when I needed you? Yes. Which I think is a fair enough response. Yes, very I saw Frank Sinatra once And a girl walked up the aisle of the, of the Albert Hall And put a huge cut glass vase of roses on the stage And he just picked it up And he looked at it kind of disdainfully And went, I don't know whether to smoke it or drink it yeah. I thought that was pretty funny Because I, I don't imagine he'd ever said that before I think that was spontaneous decadence you know? I think yeah. I only really used it before I think you hear on it's like, stage It's like lock the door, I want a captive audience all that kind of stuff. You know, how many times did uh, Noddy Holder say that? A lot. Anything you hear
0: on stage, if they're a professional entertainer, they're bound to have yeah. used
1: it before. Who takes a cut class vase to the Albert Hall? Club? Oh, no, that's the way it <laughs> that, this is I promise you, this is the way it worked. This was in 19... When did we go and see Frank? 1980, with the Nelson Riddle Orchestra. I worked with my friend Anton Corbine, who I was living with, the photographer and now filmmaker. And we loved Frank, but we were at the enemy. we couldn't tell anyone at the enemy We were going because it was a sackable offence. It's like saying, you're like, the Eagles... Or Blue Oyster Cult, to like Frank. But we <laughs> thought he was really funny. And I still do, actually. And we went to see him, and um, the whole uh, parade is very, very expensively dressed matrons, bringing along gifts. The, 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 the ceremony in those days, the procedure was that you gave a gift frank and people left bottles of j- like harvest regal harvest yeah. festival yes exactly and they went up <laughs> oh, yes. and bought. it got a huge great <laughs> sort of cedarwood features. boxes <laughs> of cigars pitching is a pineapple let's <laughs> get <laughs> <laughs> some grapes <laughs> <Kardashian>. <laughs> 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 A little jar of lemon curd. Wow, what's this? You crazy people in Blighty. <laughs> do you eat it? Or do you, you snort it. <laughs> <laughs> Bakewell tart. <laughs> Bakewell tart, oh, yum. I must come to the oven hole more often. <laughs> Thank you, my people. So it's we... a brilliant idea. <laughs> it's special with Frank Sinatra. <laughs> oh, God. Burling for a pig. Guess the weight of the bass player. <laughs> Further questions. Oh, I love it. Further questions from
0: Stean Pride says, "What's our take? What's the panel's take on the rush to RIP on social media when celebrities die? You know what I mean. Somebody dies, yeah. and everybody has to straight away tell you.
2: I think it's the rush for to everything. And to <laughs> yeah, to, to, I suppose so. Everyone wants to be first with everything, so death is just another part of that.
1: I suppose so." It's well, there was Paul Gambaccini's one about Lou Reed, which I, sort of, I'm not a great follower of of, of the Twin Sphere, but I, I did get some mates of mine said that you know, Gambaccini had eventually tweeted this terribly. Uh there's the rabbit <laughs> it's terribly the rabbit's trying to butt in Right, <laughs> rabbit's actually speaking to me it's actually pretty, we're actually interacting I'm like going to have a double barrel shotgun so I'm going to have a <laughs> no, uh, uh, Gabaccini tweeted this thing about how he's, he'd left his phone off it was a really long and apologetic thing about, I'd left my phone behind and I'd gone to a party and then when I came back it was a bit late and I was a bit tired I went straight to bed so I didn't turn my phone on And then I kind of got up late, or rather overslept. So it really wasn't until about, you know, lunchtime the next day I turned my phone and I discovered that dear old Lou Reed had died. And then he went into this, of course, you know, the longer you leave it, the more apologetic you have to be because the more the implication is that you didn't care about Lou Reed. Do you know what I mean? If you're an established uh, music uh, industry commentator and somebody famous dies, you think, well, God, Gambo must have a reaction. Bloody hell, Louie, Gambo? What's old Gambo said? Nothing. Didn't, didn't care with his side, didn't, like, and... didn't like Velvet Underground. <laughs> <laughs> damning, damning evidence. Career-shriveling yeah. evidence that he didn't like. You know, one of the you know, keystones of rock. So, it's I don't know, it's ridiculous.
0: It's, it's really odd, isn't it? It's as, it's, as, it's as if to suggest that you had a slightly
1: closer relationship
0: with the person who's died than other people did.
1: Do you know, <laughs> do you know the aspect of it that I hate the most actually, sorry, you've rather touched a raw nerve of me actually, journalistically, is that you know when I, when I was a journalist, David, <laughs> when I was a journalist, we used to do a bit of spade work. You know, if somebody died, I can remember when um when uh, Ian Spade work, somebody died. Oh <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it is rather I remember when the great Ian Macdonald died, he wrote Revolution in the Head, and I can remember pulling together a story for like the first or second edition of the Word and bringing up members of Roxy Music and, you know, all who were on yachts, you know, and just getting quotes and trying to build an absolutely fresh and original perspective about this person. But now the trouble is that the newspapers, due to, um, you know, uh, lack of workforce and often lack of energy, actually, simply look across the Twitter sphere and they oh, quote. So if somebody dies and, and what they quote is some absolutely <laughs> fatuous comment from Nicole Kidman about how this person <laughs> yeah. was just such an life. icon, change my life, someone they'd probably never met. That, I find, absolutely yeah. And also, I'm be... sorry. In reverse, it reflects very badly on the people who're tweeting because they're desperately trying to get something out there quickly in the hope that the newspapers will pick it up before their deadline. So it's a double bind of ghastliness. So I think Kate, you're really upset. I think, I think, to be fair, we don't like it. Let's talk we? about something no. nicer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's, let's be nice. Okay. Jesus. Uh, don't I, I? I basically told you about my adventure with my mixtape for Scotland. I heard you on the radio. You were terrifically good. But, on the Today uh, sorry, I'm not. I'm not trying to build up my party. No, it was great. One bit of the story I haven't told you. So somebody gets in touch with me and wants me to to sign some petition urging Scotland not to you know vote for independence, and so forth. And uh, and I think to myself, the English are not going to do this. You know what I mean? The English are, are too kind of proud and they're, they're too reticent to ever put their feelings into words over a thing like this. And I thought to myself, and I just wrote this very brief blog. The, what the English traditionally do when they're lost for words and they want to make a sentimental gesture, gesture is they make a mixtape. Okay, so why don't you, if you've got a Scottish friend, make them a mixtape and send it to them. You know, the little old cassette held together with Sellotape. It's a three-line blog. It's just a thought. You know. Right, I do. Next thing you know, the, the Radio Four Today programme are on, right? And they said, would you come on and talk? About Oh, all right, because um, I normally when they ring you and ask you do things, oh, I can't be bothered. You know, I don't don't want to go through that nerve wracking experience for something that's not worth it. Think of the money,
2: though.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a joke. Money. Sorry, um,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but then, on this occasion, I thought, all right, I'll go and do it. So I get, I get, they, and they said, "Have you got a list?" I said, "No, I haven't done a list. It's just a, it's just the thought. It's just a, you know, coming off the top of my head."
1: So you know going to right one. Yeah,
0: they yeah. say, they say. Um, we 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 will it be a great for us because?
1: <laughs> bloody! Why is the rabbit talking about trousers? Because the mic picking this up. Yeah. There's a digital rabbit talking about trousers. I'm trying to listen to David Hepworth, who's <laughs> far more interesting about the bloody Today programme.
0: And on. so I said, so you want a list, of, of, you know,
1: uh, uh, tunes
0: that would tempt the Scots not to, you know, vote for independence? They said yes. I said, so you want things with clangingly obvious titles? They said yes. So I kind of, I, I can't remember what I came up with. Don't leave me this way or, or whatever, you know. Come together, uh, was it? No, well, you did the Proclaimers thing? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I did, uh, I, I, I wonder was going to be, if leaving me is easy and coming back is harder. That's so right. Anyway, I gave them five. Came, great. Because all they want is, they want to play some pop records in the middle of the, the day program. That's, that's right. all they want, you know. They want something a bit lighter, so they can do devolution without having something like they normally do. So I go in there on Sunday morning, I turn up, assistant producer says, have you got the list? I said, there's no list. I sent an email to your, you know, your your producer and said, oh, that's a shame. So they go off and then they come back after a while. Are you sure you haven't got a list? I said, no, there's no list. Anyway, I go to the studio and I'm live, you know, and and, and, uh, the presenter says... So this is David Hepworth's list, you know. Next thing I know, it's, you know, it's, it's like I've sat there <laughs> putting together a hundred tunes, you know what I mean? Rather than just had a stupid idea off the top of my head. Anyway, the one little detail I wanted to tell you about the story was I'm sitting in broadca- in new broadcasting house in the the extraordinary Roman splendour of yeah, which is HQ.
1: Which is the backdrop to W1A, I'm sure. Absolutely, which is going know. to bring me to my next yeah. point, OK. So
0: I've. I've Somebody myself, comes
1: in with a Brompton
0: cycle. David, we today programme. I sit there; they'll come and get you. And uh, and so there appears out of the, out of the revolving door uh, through security, uh, a sort of like I don't know, he might have been thirty, he might have been younger, he might have been older. I don't know, but he had a haircut that looked like it was a it was a kind of Hoxton. Hoxton barber the nightmare Will. Yeah. just', yeah, just yeah. gone crazy yeah mad quiff coming out the front <laughs> and dropping down like curtains over in front and <laughs> shuffles towards <laughs> me in in gym shoes you know what I mean and torn jeans and uh, David Hopper, yes uh, oh follow me and he said it's a nice day out there and I said yeah, I said it's a nice day and he goes yeah cool oh and wonderful. Remember, I'm in W1A, oh, you, know I mean? yeah. yeah. you know what I mean? I could have been a cabinet minister, you know what I mean? You don't say. Well, that's what the BBC does in 2014. You know what I mean? <laughs> you are greeted on the highest <laughs> program, highest profile radio program in the country, by a, a guy with a challenging haircut. Well, going, he probably was an intern, <laughs> going cool. That's crazy. And then kind of trudge into, you know, perfectly pleasant, making nice enough small talk. You
1: know? What I mean? Yes. Be thought. I
0: miss the formality of your, you know what
1: I mean? Absolutely. I think there ought to be uniform or a uniform. A uniform doorman. Yeah. Would salute and click yeah, their heels. Absolutely. Sir so Hepworth. So that was hand the, that, you a martini. That was
0: the beginning and end of my adventure on the Today programme. Gundaneering. Oh God Well, I, I only want to say I
1: had a. have um, had a I've had a I've felt rather guilty actually. One of the um, I'm afraid to say I'm gonna have to crowbar into this the notion I have a book coming out yeah, is that alright is that come allowed to, we come to that oh, ok because it's book connecting you? with that because you see in my b- I've started to do um, Is that you know I've started to do these things I to, had no idea know, it
2: was coming did you <laughs> <laughs>
1: unpick up <laughs> <laughs> Frank Lurie. no I, I just went into Waterstones and there it is. No, I've started to do these things where you, you you do these lists you know done one for the Times done one for Blinkbox and done one for Spotify etc etc and uh, the rabbit's getting fed <laughs> up now and uh, that rabbit kill that! we're going to murder that rabbit the end of this the end of this podcast is going to be Dave and I jumping it's off the this idea piece of, the of technology the rabbit is tapping
0: its watch going
1: come on oh, get on with
2: Doesn't it yeah. talk, you have that all the time so it, yeah. it's the only company I have right? <laughs>
1: Christ Oh Lord Fraser But anyway So I um, You know I've done these lists And you have to think Of moments in the book That have significance you know, And um, I really like The idea of this There's a little bit In the book Which is it's, I, I like to think It's a universal moment It's about when you have your record collection, and I'm 19 or 20 in the book, and I've got my record collection, you know, like, I play my records, the records I like, any time I want to, you know, play them. And now I'm living with this girl who's 19, and we've got our records, you know, in the, in the same, uh, you know, in the little bedroom on, on planks, on bricks, you know. And I realise that I have got to learn one of life's great lessons, which is some notion of compromise. You know, she doesn't like Roy Harper. She doesn't like Cajun <laughs> <gadget and> B-Fight. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'd never mind. She actually thought he was awful. She said, "Frank Zappa." I don't know if we were actually allowed to play him. I mean, and so and I had to listen to all their records. And the key moment is that she says to me, uh, and everyone will have had this experience: "We are going to see Golden Earring." Now, I've taken her to see Captain Beefheart's Magic Band, so and she's she, God bless her, see she says, "Okay." let's go and see Golden Eury. and it's so funny because I dropped off a copy of the book to her the other day we're still great uh, pals she was the girl who was in the Labour government you know Angie Hunter and she said who introduced me in fact to the singer of, of Ugly Rumours you know and uh, I introduced her. Uh, so I gave her a copy of the book and she said uh, am I in it and I said yeah yeah you are yeah yeah and she said uh, which bit I said well one of the bits is the bit where we go to see Golden Earring she said
2: oh god you hate it
1: <laughs> you loathe that. I, I remember I was standing on the armrest, of the chair, going back. I was so thrilled because that is precisely how I'd remembered it. It was one of those really gratifying things. You know. It'd be awful. She said, No, no, you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd written this thing. So, no, that, absolutely. So, you know, anyway, I, I, uh, we had a little. Um, and one of my neighbours very sweetly threw a, a, a launch party for my for my book. I mean, it actually comes out you know next week. It comes out on Thursday, but <laughs> a little local launch party, and they had a house band. This is really really thrilling. So the house band, Rodri Marsden, who you know very well from Scrooge. Oh, right. oh, that's a pretty. Rodri good house band. Marsden, yeah, and the great <laughs> Terry Edwards of every group oh, so in the world is currently musician. a member of. Oh, a member of the Blockheads. Uh, John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin plays mandolin. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the fantastic and Tim in. Keegan of uh, of Departure Labs. So that's the house band. It was me. So embarrassing. Yeah. How do you say, John, Oh, all right, John. Yeah, all right, you John. Play play and down. so we are playing. Play. And it was Let so brilliant. <laughs> and so I then introduced the, this little passage to the book. So it's really like a musical version of uh, book reading, but we're no kind of reading. I'm just sort of saying we're going to play this song They tell the story of the song between. So we start with Hole on the, Hole on the Ground by Bernard by, by, oh, right, uh, right, right, right. Cribbins. Uh, sung uh, embarrassingly by me, actually. And uh, but anyway, then we do so Radar you Love. I sang was, Hole in the Ground. Yeah, I sang Hole in the Ground, backed by that. What a wonderful lineup! <laughs> Can you imagine it? There are was <laughs> digging this hole hole in the ground, etc. <laughs> it was such fun. So then we do Radar Love, and anybody listening, I don't know if you know this song, it came out about 1973 would have been. And and you know, Golden Earring were at that time. If you called yourself a rock connoisseur, which I guess I did, Golden Earring were pretty much the bottom of the barrel though they were yeah. these absolutely wretched dutch lightweight dutch, boogie meisters. Dutch. they were dutch their lead singer they didn't have cool dutch names like Teisha von Leer, you know or Jan ackerman the lead singer was called barry hay <laughs> his name david <laughs> was is barry barry hay was the lead singer <laughs> of golden earring and my girlfriend had gone on about how he had the sexiest bum on the planet
0: oh, that's
1: and he often used use to wear that. very very tight leather trousers the better to advertise this uh, delightful posterior it was just <laughs> and anyway long story I, yeah, I, there were only five guys there it's like you and me at the haircut 100. There were five... The new theatre in Oxford, there were five... guys, And all of us are exchanging those looks. You know those looks where you go, I know. I know. <laughs> you know, I know. They can't even play their instruments. Yet. And your girlfriend is standing on that. It, there's a hail of underwear. It's the place is <laughs> going mental. It's just the most... Oh, it was the most miserable man of my life. <laughs> in fact, there's a, there's a terrible uh, paragraph in the book, which I'm rather ashamed of now. It just goes, Barry Hay of Golden Earring, singing Radar Love in those trousers... This was fucking dreadful <laughs> <laughs> talking but anyway of... what I was going to say was no. I then felt bad we played this thing me being really sarcastic and John Paul Jones who'd never even heard gold Golden Earing, God bless him and most of the group hadn't either came up and said what a fantastic song <laughs> and everyone, everyone in the audience was why don't you do the go, why don't you go to Radar Love again and I presented this in a fantastically sarcastic way it was great it was being this absolute low point of musical history and absolutely and I, I reevaluated. I thought you know actually it's not that bad uh, <laughs> been driving all night my hands are wet on the wheels It's just your it's association
0: record. with uh, with the with nightmarish the context. Now, when you send me this book, you said, "Don't read it. You'll know this. You know,
1: you, you'll know." I said, "Just it read it. the chapter headings." You <laughs> I said, "There's 40 chapters. Just read the headings. You'll be working out, <laughs> Fill in the gaps." Well, Fill in the gaps. Now, last
0: night, I disobeyed you. Okay, <laughs> I sank it on the sofa. I did, oh, no. <laughs> With a small score. Oh, you don't have to read it. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't read all of it. I I read, I read, no. I, I read three <laughs> chapters. And I thought, I will mark the bits where it makes me laugh out loud.
1: Oh, right. Out loud. Oh, wow, that's good. Out loud. Oh, good.
0: Now, bear in mind, I know most of you... I've heard a lot of your riffs before. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like the things that James Taylor says to people in, in the audience. OK? So, these are the bits that make me laugh out loud in just a tiny bit I read. Oh. OK? And so, I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example. Oh, very What um, are <laughs> you talking about... I think go is it the wheelie Festival? a wheelie yeah Clackton the North festival State, 1971 and you <laughs> made the point you made the point that there's always a birth yeah. at a festival in, in those days it says there was always a birth at festivals it seemed a great way to open your account being born during an encore by Sam Apple. <laughs> <laughs> it was, just, it was just, <laughs> I don't know if I can get through this it was, just, it was, it was, it was <laughs>
1: Oh. <laughs> I know what's coming at you because i read this. I've read this. yeah <laughs> like, I was thinking, like, I thought it was a good joke, too. Like Posh, spice, she's read it. Yeah? yeah. It was cheering
0: that the population of your alternative <laughs> global village was on the up. <laughs> Though if you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 Though if you oh, <laughs> factored in the blood full of mescaline. <laughs> <laughs> No wonder it's taken him so long to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> so if you factored in the bloke full of mescaline who'd fallen off the lighting tower, <laughs> you, you were pretty much back to square one. <laughs> oh, God, it made me laugh.
1: Oh, I'm so pleased. And, oh, that's,
0: and that's, that's, that's just one bit. And
1: <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> Let oh, me
0: we'll see if
1: I find another. Oh, It's meant to be funny, actually. It's, it's <laughs> good, nice yeah. funny. Oh, it's
0: definitely meant to be funny, and it's it's very funny indeed. Um, when oh.
1: to find... Fraser you can have stopped. I had here. such nice. Them, end I've end had five reviews, Fraser. Have they all funny, been good? And they've been absolutely so enthusiastic. I was completely overcome. Lovely. very sweet. Oh, Dave. I'm going oh, <laughs> to the Deep end breaths. of the I'm fine, which I think I can get through.
0: I can get through reading without laughing. It's just so, so bizarre. It's talking about comparing notes with your mates at school or college or whatever about rock albums. Somebody else had Waiting for the Sun by the doors. Oh,
1: yeah. You should read the bit before, because it, you've got to read the first one. It's so the first album and the second album, then you get that one. don't you? Yeah, yeah. It says, someone has Steppenwolf
0: by Steppenwolf. Wow, amazing, i ventured Maximum heavy oxygen <laughs> yeah. confirmed. Somebody else had waiting for the sun by the doors. Have a listen to five to one, the last track on side two. He suggested it's all about wanking. <laughs> and I
1: go, righty ho. <laughs> well, do not you remember that? Has anybody that... got the idea that oh, yeah. five to one was no one. five to one, one in five? five. No one here gets They're out, out alive. alive. Yeah, it was all. They about... got the guns, we got the numbers. Yeah, no, no one here gets out alive. Step aside, was... we had taken over. Yeah, so for some reason, they said it was all about <laughs> wanking. How, yeah. did
0: they,
1: how did they possibly get? To the no one here gets out alive. It's too just <laughs> complicated to explain, really. But anyway, the yeah.
0: lovely bit about your farm. Uh, well many it about your father but obviously your, your father you know was wounded in, in the second world yeah he was Yeah, uh, leading attack This is in Normandy in 1945 presumably uh, it was yes 1944 uh, sorry yeah. what I'm talking yeah. about. leading attack on some armoured cars he'd been hit by a German mortar rushed to a dugout face down on the stretcher strapped to the bonnet of a truck driven to the coast and shipped back to England to have his right leg removed above the knee he'd worn a tin one ever since Whatever, now it gets funny whatever future he'd imagined, this noble struggle might secure. he not glimbing buffoons by, like, Dave Davis
1: of the Kings, turning the heads of the nations. <laughs> but that's... No, that, yeah, because he, he, the Kings was the group he hated the most. And you thought about through his eyes. I was trying to get the point that, you know, when I was that age, you know, obviously you just think, it's the Kings, they're brilliant. And they're my poor old par. You know, they'd thought fall, <laughs> fall off the Germans. <laughs> they wanted a better life for us. And there was this preposterous preening gadfly <laughs> in his frock coat, which with his repulsive girly long hair
0: anyway different. look I'm going to say this once it's genuinely funny oh thank you very it's much it's genuinely funny and I, I I know loads of this material but uh, even the bits I know I told him well it's written down you know so it's it's very difficult <laughs> no, and very it works silly. perfectly as a read so <laughs> talking talking to Dave Davis um I, I I did a thing with Ray Davis the other day you're at the which at the festival and uh, uh, which was kind of all right, but the, the things I'd never realized about Ray Davis. Do you know about his family and the, the kind of birth, birth order issues? Well, I think he was the fifth out of six, no, and I think no, he had no, four no. older, four older six sisters. Older sisters? No, six sisters. And then Ray and Dave. Then, then Ray, then and then Dave. Dave. Now you know, controversially, you always talk about birth order and you know the, yeah, the middle yeah. child syndrome and all that. Yeah, you know what I mean. The middle children always felt they didn't have enough of mother's love because another one came along. Can you imagine that, Cass? Yes.
1: That is incredible. You know what what I mean? It? I it was sick, But I knew it was a very musical family, wasn't it? And he used to play, didn't the dad was a pianist, and I think one of the aunts, didn't they? used to go a place in Muswell Hill. On well,
0: Forty Screen, he talks about his mother. His he he know, born, born in Holloway, I think, down there, sort of inner London. And mother just one day got on the, the tube and went out to East Finchley, where it was a bit more pleasant and there were trees walked around and said we're going to live here and so they moved up to Fortis Green but uh, you know so for some, some reason you know reading the, the he's got a new book out I read the book and talking to him it suddenly became really clear how that you know that relationship with his brother is
2: so fraught you know oh
0: lord I mean? yes you get normal sibling rivalry then placed inside the hot house yeah, absolutely Green, a catastrophically managed group and an appallingly unlucky group as well you know what I mean it's just absolutely spanking. Of course, that's why I was texting you, saying that your theory about the Kinks is
1: that's the greatest run of. Uh... Well, I can't remember how many it was. I used to think that I was kind of. I thought it was seventeen. I thought I thought between sixty-four and sixty-seven he put out. I've i find it. I'm to find it. No, right out, It's about seventeen. I mean, re- I mean, I don't mean extraordinarily good. I mean, sensational records. And not only that, Dave. The B sides. She's got everything. Have you ever heard that? I uh don't Jays, I'm read them uh I go to sleep. I'm read them I mean, Those are B sides. In
0: order. Okay, there's a Kinks hit. Just single, incredible record. Starting 64. What did it start 64? So I think it's 64, yeah. Okay. You really got me all day and all of the night. Tired of waiting. Everybody's gonna be happy. Set me free. See my friends. Same same initial letter. Set me free. Set oh friends. yeah. Till the end of the day. Dedicated follower of fashion. Sunny afternoon, dandy, dead end street, Waterloo Sunset, Waterloo Almanac Autumn Almanac and Good Days. Song. And the one that everybody forgets, *Wonder Boy*, which wasn't a very big hit compared to the No, it's still a
1: good, good record. Oh, How How it's a great record. It's great though. Well, well I, think, I think I'm okay. It's 14 smashing. 14, but I mean, it, but, but my In point is, if years. you turn those records over, I mean, da- days, I think I go to sleep. I, it's almost the greatest thing, apart from obviously um, Sunday Afternoon, which is the greatest record I've ever made. No. Uh, <laughs> apart from um, Fractal Zoom by uh, <laughs> by Brian Eno, and all, actually two or three others as well. <laughs> <laughs> and This Charming Man by The Smiths. And Eight Miles High, obviously. And some Beatles songs. God, can let me just tell you something about the Beatles at a tangent. I had to go, it was so brilliant. I had to go up to. Um, uh, do a literary festival in Scarborough and um, interviewed by my lovely pal Mark Billingham who you met as a crime novelist, very successful one. He drove he said, We'll drive up. We'll drive up Scarborough, it's two hundred miles in you know, each way. And we thought we'd do it in about four and a half hours. And we get in the car. I said, What got the to listen? He said, I've got every single record Beatles have ever made, which I think is 100. And, was it 192? Including "Come Give Me Dine a Hand." I mean, "Sally Deke <laughs> uh, all the B sides. You know, you know my name. Look up the number. We've got every single thing on shuffle. So I said, "This is going to be brilliant." What a shame we've only got four hours. And I worked out that it's about, 10 hours, it's about 10 hours listening. And then a, 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 a ridiculous event. We're going up the M1. I'll make this very brief. But suddenly the warning hazard lights come on and they just go accident. There's no more information apart from accident. And the moment they come on, 400 yards away, a huge column of jet black thick smoke rises up. I thought, oh, God, this is terrible. Something absolutely catastrophic So we stop and I get out of the car and we're stuck there. I walk up to see what's happening talk to the police talk to security people I'm a journalist you've <laughs> got to find out what's going on and what has actually happened is and this is I mean nobody's got hurt it's not a catastrophe a lorry carrying cereal packets <laughs> and, and this is an articulated truck by the way it's not a small it's not a van And the rest of the uh, cargo was industrial-sized tins of Mazzola cooking oil. (laughs) Has caught fire. The guy has realised he's got a fire. He's gone into the hard shoulder. He's got the fuck out of the van. (laughs) as fast and showed a very, very clean pair of heels. He's he's, he's had it away on his toes. While this van effectively detonates, it sets fire. There's an electrical fault. I talked to security people that worked out what happened while they're hosing it with foam, you know. And it's set fire to the serial package, it's then set fire to the Mozilla Rock. Dave, I you've no idea what this looks like. I mean, apart from having what a... ...an articulated like? <laughs> truck, <laughs> you could have slapped a, a, a ribeye steak down on that <laughs> thing, literally chucked in a napkin, <laughs> a bit of salt and pepper, a light salad. No, it was absolutely amazing. I was sure of having a, you know, a truck full of, I don't know, fireworks or something. It was one of the most amazing displays I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, the point is, we're delayed. And we have then turned around, and the whole of our carriageway is reversed and sent back to London. So, at one point, Mark and I thought we were going to hear all of the Beatles catalogue. In fact the journey took seven hours, forty minutes. And the, the the obsession throughout the whole thing became Mr. Moonlight. We said, Which is is there any Beatles songs that are no good? We, well apart it's from Mr Moonlight. Cool. No, no, Dave. It's not their song, I know. But we said, it's the only thing they recorded. We said, Mr Moonlight, obviously. And then he started going on about Maxwell Silverhammer, which I like. Oh, I like. He had a crack at Michelle. OK, it's not great, but it's still... It's, nice. it's got a nice tune, you know. And apart he from still that... Still playing The House. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, exactly. And there's Love Me Too, which is... Nobody can say it's a masterpiece. But they're not bad. But Mr Moonlight is a shocker. The, even the rabbit is agreeing. <laughs> it's absolutely... It's awful. And it was just this brilliant thing. We were just thinking every time... Because it's on shuffle, so it only plays the song once. And we have had seven hours and 40 minutes worth of things. And we're thinking, are we going to hear Mr Moonlight? So each time a pause, we go, Mr yeah. Moonlight! You know? But anyway, we got it. We got it in the end, five from the end. What are the chances? That was the Good. fifth from last. It was Did so it was so really to- lovely to hear every single... Because okay, we had the journey back, so we heard all ten hours of it. And not... I, I just couldn't get over how. I, have we ever no, said this before? The Beatles are underrated. Quite could, I couldn't <laughs> believe <laughs> that no, they were. So no, at no stage did anybody say,
0: uh, can we listen to the last REM album? No no,
1: no, no, we were perfectly happy to <laughs> hear kind of miserable excursions like uh, Penny Lane, right. Strawberry Fields Forever. <laughs> here There and everywhere, and oh, so you were know. you late
0: to Scarborough?
1: No, we got there with about a half an hour to go. Right, it's amazing, right, right. it was really easy. So, really how have
0: your gigs been going? Oh, good fun! Well, do you want
1: in, in Larn? Because we've which got one great. tomorrow night, we've so got tomorrow night, depending right? on whether you
0: listen to this podcast, yes, tomorrow, tomorrow night,
1: which would, which would be on in, what Tuesday in uh, Tuesday and Manchester. And Manchester. Uh, I don't know what the date
0: I, don't, I lost track of the date. Where right. is it, Plug the thing, plug the thing. It's the Deaf Institute, uh, that's uh, right, uh, yeah, with you and Stuart, brilliant. I've got to actually just throw in before you go into that they uh, reading Stewart's book, The People's Music. Oh, gosh,
1: that's... Can we just say... That <laughs> it's really good. The People's it, Songs, I think, is it? Sorry, The People's yeah, Songs. Yeah, it's a fantastic And book.
0: Uh, And the... Um, it's amazing how the Beatles just keep throwing up little stories you never quite knew before, you know. Don't know how, I don't know how how this continues to happen, you know. Particularly after you've just staggered away from reading Mark Lewis's first volume, you know, this enormous Beatles story. But the story about the, that they... That the first day, the day they recorded "She Loves You," was the was the day that they that they had a load of teenage girls outside the studio, and they go outside and they can't believe the hysteria, and they're suddenly just immensely excited by the idea of the fuss they've caused, and it's the idea you can hear that in their performance.
1: Oh, that's you know, lovely! This is lovely. And I'd never heard that. Well, the before. other thing about "She Loves You," without which to be boring, is that I don't think uh, the other two boys had heard the song. Isn't that right? I would do. So Ringo and George don't know. George picks up the calls really quickly, they arrange it. They're calling something ridiculous, like six hours or something, and uh, maybe less actually. I think it did about three or four takes. But the two members of that group had never heard that song. <laughs> Can you imagine? Sorry, I had a tangent just talking about the Beatles after my. Um, <laughs> You can slip that in, and anyway, <laughs> yeah, 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 and a tangent. Just talking about, just about the Beatles. Uh, at, at my, after my alarm gig, uh, Mark Lewis and himself came on, interviewed by David Quantick. And I got to tell you, David Quantick's last question was the funniest thing. Have I told you this before? It was the funniest thing I have ever heard. So he's talking Fraser for well an hour and ten minutes with questions from the floor to the most excessive. Be- uh, Beatles um, supporters you can imagine you can assemble in this part of Wales or indeed the country they've all come to see Lewis, and the mighty Lewis, and talking about this brick like and masters. he's very good oh it's terrific he's, he's really a terrific good. speaker and um, quanti goes okay fine so um, one more question time for one more question this is one of mine actually so Beatles or Stones? <laughs> 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 yeah. absolutely And um, Lewinson, bless him, actually took it quite seriously. he yeah, would do. And because, you know, he just sort of went, well, you know, Stones had it makes <laughs> quite good records. It, and um, Dave's going, you know, no, don't worry about it. It's an not. end line. Thanks for We've got to get go out of the tent anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just really so you've done Scarborough? Did Scarborough, which is very good. Yeah, A full fun. house full of know Scarborough, about, I'd say about half to three quarters, which I mm-hmm. thought was pretty good. Um, alarm was powerful actually and it was very good fun because I, I talked about um i talked about you know there's various big characters in the book um some of them are familiar characters they just flare up so you get Rod stewart becomes a big character or i don't know jimmy page or lady gaga or rihanna or F- frankie goes to hollywood or whatever you know but in the early part of the book, which is only fairly short but you have to put in this idea of where you come from as a person or else people just don't understand who the author is why they should have the attitudes they have and the their perspectives and so therefore you get characters like um, Anton Corbine and uh, that girl Angie Hunter talking about Tony Blair when he's in the group and just, just flare up and they're gone it was really really touching for me because one of the very early characters was one of my sisters and one of my sisters was in the audience there was I like, telling a story about my pa coming in what you were talking about earlier actually and which is again a universal moment I think for everybody in the days when there was only one television set oh, in, God, the, yeah. in the in the family not like now and, uh, and also you all watch things simultaneously live programmes and also um, the television set was owned by your parents. Oh, so like, their parents felt in charge of it. And if they didn't like it, they would turn the channel yeah, over or yeah, turn the is. volume down. And there was that whole thing about watching Top of the Pops. So my sister was nodding frantically. It was rather sweet. I was rather touched really. I
0: did. A, I did a thing a, a few years ago at, at one of my kids' schools in front of a load of parents and you know, a load of contemporaries of mine. And I said, we all remember 20 past seven on Thursday. On the yeah. Watching Top of the Pops. We all remember somebody coming on, and it looked a bit outlandish or whatever it's David Bowie doing Starman or I don't know what it was. What were the two things that your parents always said? And everybody, with one voice Is well, it a boy or a girl? Is it a boy or is it a girl? And you call this music. Yeah, it's, yeah,
2: Can't understand the lyrics.
0: <laughs> whatever. But it, it was just that was an experience that they all shared.
2: Yeah, my my mum had another one.
0: It's that prickling feeling of simultaneously excitement and embarrassment. Yeah. Which is has gone completely gone. <laughs> you know, my you mum had another that one that which lady. I put in the book.
1: My, mum, my mum's one was she would always say um, she's got such a pretty face. What a shame <laughs> she has to make that horrid noise. <laughs> she was saying that about everyone but particularly Lulu obviously because <laughs> Lulu made a shocking noise which we thought was great. My
0: mother used to look at Mick Jagger and say ooh he's got a Face like no, it has got a mouth like a set pot. Yes, a set pot's brilliant. <laughs> really set, pot, set pot, which is an expression, that's just going kind to of fall out of. I'm sure usually, I don't know what fifty years before she said it, the like, minute, but it, it lingered on as yeah. a kind of as a as a metaphor for you know for Mick. Yeah. Extraordinary stuff. So
1: you've, uh, we've got the thing in Manchester, then you've got two in London. Yeah, well yeah. then I've got, I've got one in Liverpool the next night on Wednesday with Paul Deeney. Right. Fantastic. Yes, Paul DeNoy's going to interview me, which I'm really looking forward to. I think we got uh, the mighty Pete Wiley of Waheete, of course, is who appears in the book. flares is a flares up for a brief moment, going to play a few songs. Oh, really? And hopefully a few of the Frankie might come along. I think who are mentioned in the book very fondly. I go on a trip. There's a chapter actually called "Frankie." Frankie goes go to Italy, <laughs> and it's about being in a van with the five members of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And um, particularly the outrageous uh, um, um, uh, behaviour of, of, of Nash and Nash, the guitar player, who we think might be coming out. So, I really um,
0: hope they don't
1: r- take over your show. You don't want that. That's true, you don't want that. No, I've got to do a few songs. You know, yeah, that can be. You know. That's true. <laughs> oh, this song's been. Big. I'll leave you with this, you know, get off. <laughs> <laughs> Shepherd's Crook appears cartoon like. We <laughs> say it's Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you watching it? No. Oh, I you watching it, it know No, you've never you've ever seen it. I have not seen... Are you saying, it's, do you know it's an obsession of mine? Or, or, yeah, I, yes. I, well, it's, well, it's always an
0: obsession of somebody's. And I can't get over it, before we start recording this, that it's finally ended up being your obsession. Well, I... Yeah, Michael, um, you've only just got round to watching
1: Fraser... Yes.
2: <laughs> I'm sure you joined
1: the Stanley Baxter show <laughs> <laughs> on DVD. You, legendary. of dot Green. You
0: are the latest of yeah. later doctors when, uh, it, comes really, to, oh, very when late, it comes to television. Yeah. So the idea that you know you have joined the ranks of the of the people well, it, who corner you at parties and look at you bright eyed tell you, you really should watch Breaking Bad. You are now allowed
1: two minutes oh, okay. to tell us why it's really good. Fraser, you, 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 you're you on it or not? You, not?
2: I, I don't like it. Are, are you,
1: don't there like you it? go. So we're going to come to... Nice Del- like today, programme. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. We've got we, we've got a debate. We've got a free and frank exchange <laughs> no, <now ginger>. of views.
2: <laughs>
0: go, well, uh,
1: right. to centre. Um, OK, I would say, I mean, anyone li- who's um, listening who's seen it will, I'm sure, agree with me, that it was addictive from the very first second But I saw it. I I won't tell you what happens, but there's a scene involving a van and four characters, one of whom's dead, actually, um, driving at reckless speed through a desert, wearing gas masks with a load of broken chemical equipment in the back. And you have to piece together very quickly what could possibly, you have to fast forward to the end of this 45 minute uh, episode to work out how on earth we're going to get to this point. And I was completely and utterly gripped by it. I'm gripped by every single one of the, f- one of the characters. You know the story. The story is Walt Senior, Walt Junior, and uh, the great Skylar. And their are other tense relationship. Um, they're th- th- the in-laws. Um, every single character that you meet is fascinating, brilliantly uh, portrayed. <laughs> even the rabbit is not agreeing <laughs> with me. Yeah, I know, mate. Well, wait, you get to the third series. the rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> She's still behind me, actually. And um, the weird thing about it is... Uh, I mean, it's no secret to know that um, that Walt Sr. is diagnosed with terminal illness. And I actually got the wrong impression. We said, yeah, he does all these terrible things that you wouldn't normally do because he knows he's going to die. That's not true, actually. What he does is seeks to make money very fast to get himself out of a financial problem with his medical, um, with his medical condition. And he does so by trying to cook uh, crystal meth. And that itself is unbelievably fascinating. The world of crystal math and the fabulously unglamorous and unvarnished uh, society of the people that they run into, which you probably haven't got that so, far. So
0: you're, you're, you are, you're, now we can count you as one of the believers. That's, oh, I that's completely. I, mean, I just that's simply, Fraser, Yeah. On the other hand.
2: I, I have tried with Breaking Bad. I got through halfway through series two before giving up. Didn't like a moment of it. Through and I <laughs> But you've watched some of the great bits. Why
0: didn't you like every? Why did you like? Because there's
2: no one in it that's likable. There's Mm -hmm. no one you care about. You're kidding me. They're all absolutely adorable. They're all deeply unpleasant. What junior? Every last one of them. No, not remotely. No, they're all unlikable. Jesse, you don't don't care about them.
1: Jesse, the drug dealer. No. Oh no, because deep down, Fraser, he's a middle-class boy from a middle-class home (laughs) who's, who's just completely fucked up in his exams, and he's got on the wrong side of the tracks. And in his heart, and he falls in love with the girl next door. You wouldn't want him as your neighbour, would you? You wouldn't want him as your neighbour. But but, uh, I still think he's a very uh, attractive character. And I also think the brilliant thing about this um, programme is it constantly runs three or four um, parallel themes, which are the same themes in the different subsects of the story. So the bit I watched last night, would I be giving anything away if I said it? Probably. It's where where Aaron Paul, the Jesse character's, girlfriend dies of a heroin overdose and he believes that he's killed her. And he's telling this to Walt Senior. Walt Senior effectively has killed her because he's present when she is dying, choking on her own vomit. I know, I know, it's not a family entertainment. <laughs> but so decides to allow her to die in order to save the life <laughs> of Jesse. So when he's saying, I killed that girl, he said you didn't kill her. So what well, he's actually thinking he is, I killed her. So, you so the levels of guilt don't... You're
0: a, you're a believer. Fraser's tried and he's elapsed, really naughty And you're not even gonna start. I even you. after I have so I'm glowingly I'm told even, it to you. I'm not even gonna start because for the same reason I didn't start with kind of Game of Thrones and and then start with you know, twenty four hours or whatever. What is it called? Twenty four. Twenty four whatever. Because what I realised about loads of these things is these are the most skillfully made television in history, you know. These I things, think so they're hugely thought about thought they so. have millions of writers they have really good actors they're, they're considered in a way that, that most screen entertainment isn't either, either small screen or large screen but actually what's their only objective this, this is their only objective keep you watching that's what they're there for that's, the only thing people can think of to say about them is they're addictive and boy they're addictive and they get to be too addictive And you can't watch more than one of them because they just suck up half your life.
1: Well, you're absolutely right because you're either 100% obsessed with the thing and can't understand why nobody else is or you sit there and go, how could you? Because you used to go on about the wire and I said, Dave, I literally do not have enough space In oh, my life, weird. or my head, actually, to watch the world. But I'd like to, and my fantasy was that one day, in 10 years' time, I will, um, you know, hire a cottage in the Cotswolds, I get a load of digestive biscuits, I get a television set <laughs> even bigger than the one that <laughs> in Fraser's flat here, which I'm just looking at, which is about the size of a house. And uh, <laughs> stop it, you bloody digital rabbit, leave it, mate, alright? You're for the pot. <laughs> you're for the set part actually, <laughs> and I will watch these things and I'll enjoy them. But I don't know. You, you either, you're either, you're either. Uh, I mean, well,
0: it's it sort of reached a crisis point with this television nowadays, you know, because just so much of it. And it was like, well, what's it? What's the the thing based on the British parliamentary drama? The um, oh, God, House of Cards. House of Cards. So, House of Cards. You watched the first series of House the American House of Cards. No, Kevin Spacey. Really, really well done.
2: It's a genius programme.
0: OK, but afterwards, can you remember a single thing about it, apart from the fact that Kevin Spacey had some brilliant lines and knew how to talk to the camera? I can't remember a single thing about it. It was full of, you know, moral turpitude yeah. in, in Washington. I can't, I can't tell you anything more about
2: it. Well, anything that happened, yeah.
0: Anything that happened. I can remember the sensation of watching it that sensation of being seduced you know what I mean not that that's ever happened I don't think
1: that's ever happened to me it sounds
0: sounds brilliant what's it like oh
2: wow
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know it was a very pleasant Sensation watching it. I can't remember a thing about it uh, afterwards. And uh, The second series comes along, I haven't watched it at all. What was the one in the years ago about the uh, the family that ran the funeral firm? In,
1: oh, it's called uh, Six Feet Under. I watched we, all of it.
0: We watched The Obsessed. My yeah. wife and I watched the first That's
1: series,
2: f-flabble. Obsessed.
0: We then bought the box set of the second series. No, it's still at home. All oh, right, in its cellophane. cellophane it's never, cellophane. never even been opened. Yeah. I've got no curiosity to go in there again.
1: Well, it's all I've been
0: doing is repeating. No, actually, the part.
1: characters don't really develop. Actually, I'm sure they do because you met them all, and they just have different capers, you know. But it's not nearly as good as Breaking Bad. And I, what I, get, I cannot get over is it. exactly what you were saying, actually, is the complexity, even on the pathetic level of you know writing a book, which I've just done. E- even on that level, you have to write 40 chapters. You have to write a chart and work out all the characters, all the themes, all the points you want to make before you write it and make sure that they link up and echo back. No, but don't you think they're writing, it. And they're is writing it as they go along? They're, they're writing it. it as they go along. As, as they go along. They can, no, they can't be, David. No, they,
0: they must can't. be. They don't because know. You're when you start a series like that, they don't know if it's going to do certain Well, stories. actually, no,
1: there is there is oh, a rumour, which I'm sure is probably true, actually, that, that uh, there, was a, there was a writer's strike during that, the famous writer's strike in America, where they didn't think they were going to get the writers. And so at the end of each series, which is, what is it, three or four DVDs, three episodes per DVD at the end of each series there are colossal unknowns where it could actually act as the end of the entire thing and I th- the rumour is that they didn't know at the end of series one and two that they would carry on but that was a financial thing that's why,
0: that's why the it le- was doing series, really well the least satisfactory episode of The Sopranos is the ending because what's the, a the story like that can't have an ending Because an ending suggests that you've been going toward, you've been traveling towards an ending. You
1: know, an ending. Well, thank God it did have an ending, or you wouldn't have your life back, Dave. And you wouldn't be sitting here talking (laughs) to (laughs) us and just be gibbering in front of some bloody great screen, just watching these things over and over again. (laughs) Do you talking in a sort of hilarious kind of gangster accent? Classic program that I watched feeling,
0: you know, and kind of half enjoyed it but feeling to myself, oh, I should be reading a book, or I'll do something else, was episodes, you know, the uh, the thing with Steve Mangan and uh, Matt LeBlanc I've seen some of those, oh uh, Matt
1: LeBlanc oh that was good, well
0: it's, funny. it's got some really beautiful, funny little oh, it's things marvellous. in it but it's got a very telling thing what's the name of the handsome
1: girl there?
0: Uh, oh, oh, where they, they take great. an English sitcom <laughs> to America oh,
1: is it hot in here? <laughs> uh,
0: yes, take a ticket uh, <laughs> yes, the um, uh, you know they take an English sitcom to America and they, you know they undergo the usual problems that Americans want to you know, flatten it all out and so forth and uh, and they're trying to make they, they've got the idea that uh, that the librarian I think she is is a lesbian so she's never going to fall for the uh, for the hero and uh, Matt LeBlanc who is obviously you're meant to look at as the character from Friends yeah he still is says called says, Joey, to, isn't he? says to them you can't me? do that with an American sitcom. You can't make anything impossible in an American sitcom because it could go on for absolutely years. And that's that's how they approach television, which you just, you just keep twining out yeah. as long as you possibly can. There's no sense in American television, I've said all I've got to say, the end. you know what I mean? Because if the network has got an audience, it's going to keep feeding that audience for as long as possible until the lead actors just say, I don't want anything more to do with
2: it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word.